The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where every week we appear here to you on public radio, out of the ether, to help you with your real estate investing-related questions and issues. And today, as is the case on most last Wednesdays of the month, it is question and answer week. That means... I walked into the studio without a guest, without any notes, just flying by the seat of my proverbial pants, because it's the week where you get your chance to ask whatever questions you have stored up about buying properties, renting properties, financing properties, dealing with tenants, dealing with contractors, whatever it is you would like to know, you can find out today by giving us a call here in the studio If you're in the greater Cincinnati area and you are hearing my voice coming out of your radio, you can call us on our local number, which is 772-9658. If you're listening to us online and you're someplace other than right here in the Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, Tri-State, give us a call on our toll-free line at 877-772-9658. Or you always have the option of going to our website, askvina.com, where you will find an Ask Vina a Question button. When you punch in that button, you'll get your chance to fill out your question, tell us where you're from, and send it here to the studios via email. Again, that is askvina.com. Also, while you're there, you might want to take a moment and get signed up for our weekly e-letter because you never want to miss an episode of all of the free education that you get here on Real Life Real Estate. And uh, the way you're going to avoid missing that is by getting uh, the notification every week about the show that's coming up, who the guest is, and usually there was also a useful article by or about our guest. That's askvina.com. Also, while you're there, you still have a chance to get Jerry Fink's contractor agreement that we talked about on the show about three weeks ago. Jerry was generous enough to uh, donate his template for uh, dealing with contractors and their timelines and what happens when the work orders change and who's carrying the workers comp and all those sorts of things there's a big thingy at the top of the page i don't know what the official name is it's a sign-in box i'm not technical like that and it says get jerry's uh get jerry's contractor agreement here 
again, that is at askvina.com. It's Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. And we are going to go to email and answer a question that is coming from Linda in Ashtabula, Ohio. Ashtabula, Ohio. I just like saying that. Uh, Linda says, I am looking at a property where the seller will sell it to me subject to the existing loan. However, it turns out that there is also a lien on the property for a credit card totaling almost $12,000. If I buy the property subject to the existing mortgage, am I also buying it subject to the credit card lien? And what should I do about this? Well, uh, yes, Linda, the answer is you are, if you simply take the deed to that property, you are buying it subject to all of the liens, not just the mortgage. I know you would like to be able to say, um, no, I'm, I'm only buying it subject to the mortgage and Mr. Credit Card Lien, you have to deal with this yourself, but it does not work that way. Uh, unfortunately, the lien is going to go with the property unless, Linda, you treat that uh, credit card lien as if it were, for instance, a second mortgage and do what people talk about as a short sale, right? You can certainly get the permission of the seller to, uh, in writing to contact the credit card company, uh, negotiate with the credit card company for a short payoff. Uh, what you are most likely to get in a case like this is something along the lines of getting the credit card company to agree to release the lien from the property, but not from the seller for a small amount of money. In other words, you may be able to pay them 500 bucks, get a piece of paper that releases the lien from the property, but that does not mean that your seller does not still owe that money to the credit card company. So uh, worth doing though, because many times you will find that uh, lien holders like credit card companies, nursing homes, uh, insurance, if, if, there were, if it's an insurance judgment, something like that, uh, are more likely to want to uh, release those things and get some money than uh, mortgage, mortgage companies often are. So thank you for your question, Linda. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Uh, it's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, and you can call in your questions at 877-772-9658, or you can go to our website at askvina.com and uh, send them in that way. Um, question here from... Okay, that's not a question. Someone sent me a link to a lengthy article that I will certainly... Uh, go read it sometime when I'm not live on the air. A uh, question from uh, Gianfranco, who, as I recall, is from Southern California. Uh, he says, I have a real problem with staying focused and accountable to myself. I've tried to find myself accountability partners, but they're not strict enough to keep me accountable. I know that even if I sign up for a mentoring program, I will have the same struggle I'm in the process of setting up a mastermind group, hoping that the group pressure will be better. Any more specific suggestions? Uh, what a great question, Franco. The, uh, uh, the idea that if you go out and learn all about real estate and become an expert in real estate, you will become successful in real estate um, doesn't 
typically work that way because there's a whole there's this whole other giant part of the equation which is you have to do what has to be done <laughs> you know it right you know you know how to do it but then can you make yourself do it can you um can you can you actually discipline yourself to make those phone calls that might be hard to make or get that craigslist ad up for the umpteenth time in a row even though you're tired and the concept of having an accountability partner uh, to to help with that so that you have someone to uh, basically answer to is a good one. However, Gianfranco, in your case, it sounds like uh, that doesn't give you the the pressure you need. I mean, you're saying, oh, they're not they're not strict enough. Well, that's that. Yeah, that may kind of be blaming the victim there uh, because bottom line is if you won't let yourself be held accountable if it does not in some way make you feel bad or shame you to tell your accountability partner that you didn't do something uh, what are they supposed to do about it I mean you know so you call them you say yeah I didn't do it and they say oh well eh, you probably should have done that you, you can say well, they weren't strict enough or you can say wow the thought of having to say that didn't make me do it anyway so um you know, a couple, couple of directions you could go. One is if you can find an accountability partner who will actually um, follow your ideas of what that relationship is like, which sounds like um, it is you get yelled at if you don't do what you're supposed to do. Uh, that's great. But I would suggest doing some study in the areas of focus and willpower because it sounds like um it sounds to me like you're just not going to be able to make it work with a typical accountability partner short of paying somebody a whole bunch of money that you're not going to get them to yell at you i'm sorry it's just not going to happen uh if you simply google things like uh how do i get more self-discipline or how or willpower or uh focus you will find that there's a lot of information out there about it uh, you will find that uh, just on YouTube alone, there are dozens of motivational videos and and even uh, some scientific stuff from, from some of the TEDx conferences and whatnot about studies in that area. And uh, I think it might give you some insight into why it is you might be having issues in that regard. And by the way, if you are putting together a mastermind group and the point for you of the mastermind group is for them to hold you accountable. They need to be very clear on that. And they also need to equally want to be held accountable. Different mastermind groups do different things. They serve different functions. You want an accountability mastermind group. Uh, and one more thing, Gianfranco, um, I'm sorry, this this is this is a actually a topic I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, don't use your accountability partner or those groups to hold you accountable for stuff that any mature adult human being ought to be able to be accountable for. Don't give them your to-do list and say, this is what I expect to accomplish in the next week and yell at me if I don't accomplish it. They are for holding you accountable to things that you would not necessarily be able to accomplish on your own. Those quadrant two items, the important but not urgent things that do not are not on fire and do not come automatically to the top of the to-do list every week. So it would be things like creating marketing and creating a business plan and strategic planning and things like that that you should be held accountable for. 
Thank you very much for your question, Jean Franco. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week, as you can probably tell any question that you have regarding real estate investing and success in that arena is welcome today. You can give us a call at 877-772-9658, or you can send us an email via our website at askvina.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and it's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, which means that uh, whatever it is you'd like to know about real estate investing and the various uh, aspects thereof, you may you may ask your questions now, and you may do so by calling 877-772-9658 or by uh, sending us an email, and the way you do that is you go to the website, which is askvina.com. That's A-S-K-V, like in Victor, E-N-A, dot com. Hit the Ask Vina question button, hit send, and it will come. Well, type your question first and then hit send, and it will come over here. Uh, while you are on the Internet, you might want to go to our Facebook page. It's uh, facebook.com slash real life real estate radio and give us a little like over there because there's constant news coming out there on real life real estate investing about different things that are happening in the real estate world and um, you can join the over 5,000 folks who have fanned real life real estate there and can you believe it we are just about a week out now from the 2013 National Real Estate Strategy Summit here in Cincinnati. And I know many, many real life real estate listeners pledged uh, and, ma- and made plans to come out to the event. We are down to just a small handful of rooms at the Great Wolf Lodge in our room block. So if you have not yet made your room reservation and are planning on being here on November 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th. You need to do that like right now would be a good time. Uh, That's the Great Wolf Lodge. Uh, If you go to oreaconvention.com, you can find the code to use to get the special $99 room rate. Askvina.com is where you go to send us your questions today. And as soon as I get over to that folder in my computer, because it's doing that thing where the cursor goes around and around and around and nothing happens, uh, we will move on to our next questions here on uh, Question and Answer Week on Real Life Real Estate. Uh, Here is a question from Janie, who is from Newport, Kentucky. Janie says, uh, in response to your first caller's question, how does one find out issues like credit card liens, particularly when one is simply buying a property subject to the existing loan? Who would be the right person or resource to learn this from? Would it be an escrow agent, an attorney? Can I get the information online or is it something else? 
that's a great question, Janie, because it implies that if you were buying a property in some way other than um, paying cash and doing a full closing, that there would not already be one of these people involved. And that is not the way it should be done. Uh, just because you are getting a property subject to the existing loan or buying it on land contract or buying it with an owner-held mortgage does not mean there should not be a full title search and full closing because uh, it, you know, it's, it, might be, it might sound like a great deal to get a house for no money down subject to the existing loan until you find out later on that there's this $15,000 credit card lien that you didn't know about and you make no money when you sell the house. All closings should be done through an attorney, title company, or escrow company, depending on how that is done in your neck of the woods. It's different, different, um, different professionals in different areas. Uh, there in Kentucky, you're going to have it done with a title agent, and they go and do all that work that you're talking about. They're the ones who go down and look at public record and look at the UCC filings and all of those sorts of things and see if there's uh, any potential title problems with the property. And by the way, the title problems could take the form of something other than liens. A very common problem that we've been running across lately is um, elderly folks who uh, want to sign their properties over to their children before they die, and they do that via a quit claim deed. And that's Q-U-I-T, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. It's not a quick claim deed. It's a quit claim deed. They do that via quit claim deed. They do it just, you know, they, they go download something off the internet and they go to a notary and they have it signed and notarized. They give it to their kid and now the kid owns the house. Except, and then, you know, 10 years passes and mom's gone now. And unfortunately, the deed was not prepared correctly. And uh, specifically, um, and, and this is this is one of those things that your title agent would know so you don't have to memorize it. Uh, in Ohio... When a deed is conveyed, the marital status of the person conveying the deed has to be on it. So it has to say, Bessie Smith is a married woman. Bessie Smith is an unmarried woman. Bessie Smith is divorced and not remarried. And uh, we've seen several occasions lately where that w that one simple thing was left off the quitclaim deed, and therefore it is not valid, and therefore it's created all sorts of problems with having to open up probates where no probates were opened up before and so on. And um, before somebody corrects me on it, it's not just that the marital status has to be on there, it's that we have dower rights in Ohio. And also, that means that if Bessie is married, her husband has to sign off on the quitclaim deed too. So in any case, Janie, that sort of thing is why you go ahead and get the full-blown title search and closing done. Because you have no reason to know something like that. You would have no reason to recognize a, a, a deed that uh, didn't have two witnesses, which isn't required anymore in the state of Ohio, but is required in some other states. And uh, you can find yourself years up the road in a deal that you thought was a great one in a situation where you can't sell it, or at least if you do sell it, you're not making any money on it because the deed... The, the title search was not done and the deed was not properly conveyed in the first place or there are liens you didn't know about or whatever the case may be. So thank you very much for your email, Janie. If you'd like to contact us with your questions on Question and Answer Day on Real Life Real Estate, 877-772-9658 is our toll-free number. You can also send an email by going to askvena.com, that's askvena.com, uh, fill out the Ask Vena question form, hit send, and 
it will come here to my trusty 900-year-old Commodore 64 computer here on the desk at WMKV. It's my computer, not theirs. They have slightly newer equipment than I do. A uh, question from Paul in Long Beach, California. She, he says, I've been listening to your show for a couple of years now and finally decided to take the plunge into wholesaling. I have a full-time job at the moment, and this may be a little presumptive, but how does the government view wholesaling tax-wise? When does it go from being a hobby to a business? What are some of the common tax strategies used by wholesalers? I know you're not a tax professional, but my job comes with some interesting tax advantages, and I don't want to jeopardize them at this time. Um, now, Paul, I, I, that last sentence kind of scared me because I can tell you how other wholesalers <laughs> deal with their taxes, but it sounds like you have a, a, an unusual situation that I don't know how uh, having additional income of any sort would would change that situation. But I can tell you, uh, on the whole, your wholesale deals, if you do more than uh, just one or two of them, uh, your CPA is going to tell you that you need to treat them as ordinary income. Uh, what you'd ideally like to do is treat these properties uh, like they were short-term capital gains deals, okay? Like like you you just happen to buy an asset and sell it very quickly. The uh, the difference is not whether the IRS thinks it's a hobby or not. It's whether the IRS thinks the property was a dealer property or not. In other words, are you in the business of doing this, buying and selling this asset? Or is it just something you happen to do once this year as part of a different, maybe investing type uh, real estate business? So ordinary income, of course, means highest possible tax rate for your wholesale deals. The way most uh, wholesalers deal with this is number one, they don't do their deals personally. They do them, uh, they set up a, a limited liability company or similar uh, entity through which they uh, actually do the deals. It's the LLC that puts the properties under contract. It's the LLC that sells the contracts. Uh, then keep keep very careful uh, accounting of your expenses. And uh, remember that your LLC can own that laptop that you need to wholesale with. And your LLC, um, when you're driving around looking at properties, you should be keeping track of the mileage on your car, right? Because uh, there's actually fairly general a generous mileage allowance and the signs that you put on your car that say, I buy houses, those are all deductible. Now they'd be deductible whether or not you had the LLC, but uh, having the LLC and paying for all of this stuff out of the LLC account makes it a whole lot easier to track them. Uh, the, the advantage of the limited liability company, according to the various actual tax, tax experts who have been here on Real Life Real Estate Investing, is that it allows you to recategorize some of that ordinary income into uh, what what falls into the category, same category as like a dividend income from stocks, okay? Uh, you pay yourself a salary from the LLC, but you don't pay all of the profits out as salary. Some of them become distributions to you as the owner, which are not subject to all the FICA, Feudasuda, all the... Uh, what we consider ordinary income taxes, which is all the Medicare or Medicaid stuff that happens over and above uh, just your usual tax rate. So on those dollars, you can cut back your taxes by 15% or so. And of course, just minimizing the 
net income by making sure that you're tracking all your expenses is the other way to do it. And no, Paul, it's not presumptive. You're going to make six figures this year wholesaling real estate if you believe that you can. You're listening to Question Answer Week on real life real estate investing. Uh, 877-772-9658 is the number to call with your questions. You can also send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. I got a question from Michael that I, I suppose is really more of a question for George or Mike or Maple Knoll Village or something like that. And we get this one every once in a while. We'd love to have your radio show up here in Flint, Michigan. How could you help me? to tie in with your station to piggyback off of it in flat. <laughs> Remember back before we had internet radio, this this question came up all the time. People are always saying, well, we've got a public radio station up here. Why can't we have real life real estate on it? And it's, 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 it's more complicated than you would think to um, syndicate programming like that, Mike. So I suspect at the moment you're going to have to just continue to listen to us online at wmkvfm.org. I will certainly forward this to George like I've been doing for years and maybe something can be worked out and maybe it can't, but certainly appreciate uh, the um, desire to have real real estate in Flint, Michigan. But really it's everywhere, right? It's everywhere because of the interweb. Just air it, nobody will know. That's right. Just hijack the station. What What was that movie back from the 80s where... What's his name? Drove around in that car and he could hijack the radio stations and play his own music. And yeah, that's I can I can just see that. Uh, <laughs> I did not I did not see that next comment that we just got about whether or not anybody still lives in Flint. Mike is a huge supporter of Real Life Real Estate and Oria, so we are not going to make fun of where he lives. Uh, if you have a question for. Real Life Real Estate, uh, anything that you want to know about real estate investing today is your day. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. And you can give us a call at 877-772-9658. Or you can send us an email by going to askvina.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and it's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, which means uh, whatever questions come in, that's what I am asking, I am answering here. Um, Let's see, Uh, Michael says, and didn't mention where he was from, but he says, what single family house business models generate the highest income per year? How many investors do you know earning seven figures or close from the above sources? How many over $500,000 per year? Um, well, uh, the the last two questions there, Michael, are a little hard to answer because even though money is much more freely discussed in uh, real estate associations than it is, you know, maybe uh, at cocktail parties in, out in the real world, um, it's rare that I walk up to somebody and say, so do you make over half a million dollars a year? Most of the people who will uh, reveal those sorts of numbers uh, are selling courses. <laughs> so uh, it's a little bit hard to say how many I know that are earning over seven figures a year or over half a million dollars a year. I can tell you that uh, anybody who is in the 
wholesaling or retailing business truly full time, by which I mean not only is that their only job, but they're actually doing it full time, uh, are above a hundred thousand dollars, and depending on the part of the country, might be over half a million dollars uh, on that. Because, uh, well, I mean the simple math is if you're doing two wholesale deals a month at five thousand dollars a piece, and you know you're ignoring the tax effects and so on, you're over a hundred thousand dollars, and that would be fairly typical for a cheap market, Birmingham, Alabama, Canton, Ohio, that sort of place. Uh, more expensive markets, L.A., uh, most of the wholesalers I know there won't get out of bed for less than about, about a fifteen or $20,000 profit. So uh, the first part of your question, what single-family house business models generate the highest income per year? Define income per year. Is it, is it, are you, it sounds like you're, you're strictly talking about cash income, like like what did I deposit in the bank? And that's of course, not the only thing to look at. There is also equity generated, right? If you if you bought 10 rental properties this year that each had $10,000 in equity, they were $100,000 houses that you bought for $90,000 a piece, uh, that's $100,000, but it's not $100,000 you can spend. Are we talking about cash flow from rentals? I know very few people in the single-family home business, unless they have been in it for a long time, that uh, are netting $100,000 from their single-family homes, because you'd have to have an awful lot of those if those were, if they were leveraged to net $100,000 a year. Now, on the other hand, after you get your mortgages paid off, you don't have to have that many. Uh, the question I think you are asking is what generates the most cash income? And the answer is a wholesale business, a retail business, or some combination of the two because they generate cash and nothing but cash and they do it in chunks. And uh, they have some disadvantages as well. They're highly taxed. They uh, don't provide passive ongoing income, but my guess from the nature of your question is <laughs> you don't care that much about that right now. Uh, Dave says, there seems to be an overwhelming amount of MLS foreclosures. In the past, you didn't seem to be big on MLS foreclosures. Can you tell us what you're seeing in the present state of the market? Can you include hedge funds as well? Actually, Dave, it's interesting that you came away with that impression. I'm thinking maybe you went back and listened to all of the hundred or so real life real estate archived programs on iTunes in a short period of time because my thought process about MLS foreclosures was eh, not that great. Yay, they're awesome. And then eh, not that great again. Um, we had a period of time where, it, and this was 2009-2010, where MLS foreclosures were basically the vast majority of uh, junker properties in MLS. And there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them in any market, and they, they sat around on the market for the same amount of time as everything else, 180 days or more, and uh, often they would sell very cheaply. About 18 months ago, that particular segment of the market tightened down a lot. Like there were a whole lot less properties available. 
and the ones that were still available because of the hedge funds that you mentioned in a lot of our markets started selling relatively quickly and for higher prices or higher percentages of value than we had seen before that. And I'm, I'm certain there was a ramp up to that, but it, it, it seemed like in, in my business and as I talked to other people around the country, that it just all came crashing down around March, April, May of 2012. And suddenly it was very difficult to get offers accepted on MLS listed properties at any sort of um, true wholesale type of price. And there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of reasons that um, uh, the the there are fewer of those properties on the market. Uh, some, of, some of it is the effect of the private equity buyers uh, buying those up prior to the time they get to MLS, either uh, at the courthouse steps or through uh, bulk packages at the bank. And uh, it seems as if a lot of properties are still being withheld from the market by the banks, like like they are, they are either owned or will be owned, uh, and yet they are not moving to the market with due speed. Uh, there's been a lot more short sales being done in the last couple of years, which of course, again, keeps the, keeps properties from becoming REOs. And uh, so for the last uh, year or so, uh, the focus of my own business has moved away from the MLS foreclosures. It's, I, I just, I don't believe in fighting everybody else for a set of properties that everybody seems to want right now, and there aren't enough of them. So uh, there, there are so many reasons for that. And I, I hope, Dave, that you're coming to the National New Strategy Summit next week because the Saturday morning keynote, this is the topic of it. This is exactly what Eddie Speed is going to talk about on Saturday morning. Uh, and there's so many moving pieces and so much of it has to do with regulation and government incentive and um my goodness, there's, there's, we, we could spend two, three shows analyzing all of the things that are going on in the market. But the, the thing that it comes back to always is that banks aren't the only sellers. Probates aren't the only sellers. Um, landlords aren't the only sellers. You know, there's, there's always people in the market who need a faster solution than the market typically offers on an illiquid asset like real estate. And that is where your opportunity lies as a person who wants to uh, invest in real estate and buy at under market prices. And it remains the case that uh, real estate is an inefficient market. It is not like the stock market where if you decide this morning that you want to sell all of your stock from company X, you can put in an order and it is sold right? When you need to sell your piece of real estate, you can expect it to be a fairly lengthy process. And if you really need to sell it quickly, you have to make it a good deal for the person who's going to buy it. So that continues to exist. I am not as excited about MLS listed properties in the bank owned category as I was two years ago. So uh, there is my, what, five minute summary of what, again, I would say could be a two or three show process to answer. A question from John, who is in South Carolina. He says, I'd like to follow up on the short sale discussion from a few months ago. 
You mentioned that the short sale process can take months to consummate. Is it the term of the contract related to the number of months the homeowner is behind on their payments, as well as the negotiation with the bank? Is there a formula that you recommend for estimating the term of contract and extensions? Uh, No, John, there's really no rhyme or reason to how long a short sale takes to consummate. And so, you know, we're talking about here, you made the offer, you got the acceptance, you got the hardship letter, you got the um, authorization release information, you got whatever other information the bank wanted for the short sale, you submitted that to the bank, and now the process really starts, right? And it, the process can take anywhere from weeks on the very short side to years. Ask me how I know that. Last short sale I negotiated took two years to actually consummate. Uh, my understanding from experts like Sean McCluskey is that that process is has shortened up a lot in the last few months. Uh, but there isn't a, what you're asking for is, how do I know when I'm making the offer to the seller, whether to tell them we're closing in three months or six months or two years or what? And the answer is you cannot know. And that's not how you fill out that line on the contract where it says closing. It'll say uh, closing will occur 30 days after acceptance of the short sale by seller's lender. And that way it's sort of open-ended and you can do the work that you need to do and not worry about constantly getting extensions if the bank doesn't respond or responds by saying, yeah, we'll do a BPO in three weeks or whatever it is that they do. But uh, great question. Just remember that on those date lines, it doesn't have to be a hard date. Uh, we've done similar things when properties were in mid-probate, when they literally, like, uh, the, 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 the seller, the heirs wanted to sell, but the probate had not been approved by the court. Instead of saying we're going to close on January 1st, we say we're going to close within 30 days or 15 days or whatever of the approval of the sale by the court. So hopefully that answers your question, John, and appreciate that and all of your great questions, listeners. Uh, stay tuned for question and answer week again at the end of next month, but we will be back next week to put you further along the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.